You don't have to look too far to be dismayed by what seems to be an increasing lack of civility in our society. And yet I would uh, remind you first, civility, define it. It is politeness and courtesy in behavior or speech. Now on the one hand, we need to remember that in Genesis 4, when Cain murdered Abel, civility left the building. That was the beginning of the end of civility. And yet, even as we look back through history, we can see these gross acts of uncivility. One of those happened in, on May 22nd, 1856. On May 22nd, 1856, after a two-day, five-hour speech on the Senate floor given by Senator Charles Sumner from Massachusetts, who entitled his speech, The Crimes Against Kansas, argued for Kansas to be admitted as a free state and not a slave state. And in his speech, which runs about 112 pages, he called out different other senators by name, and the things he said about them were not nice. A representative in the House of Representatives from the state of South Carolina was related to a man by the name of Senator Andrew Butler. Andrew Butler was called out by name in Sumner's speech, and some awful things were said about him. You have to go back and read the 112-page speech because I'm not going to repeat them here. And so uh, Preston Brooks, representative from South Carolina, took it upon himself to defend his relative's honor. And on May 22, 1856, as Charles Sumner was sitting in the Senate taking his speech and setting it up so he could send it out to people, Mr. Brooks walked in with a heavy cane and beat Senator Sumner into unconsciousness. Civility. Not really. Civility continues to diminish. Last Sunday, a fan of the New England Patriots got into an altercation with someone else at the game between the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins, and a 53-year-old man died as a result. After that time, they started saying in the first two weeks, today's week three, if you're a Bears fan, it's week Oh, and three. But today is week three of the NFL season. In the first two weeks, in 32 games, there were 80 instances of physical altercations between fans. And the NFL takes a little bit of pride in the fact that that's down from 140 in two weeks' times last year. Civility. You know, it seems like social media has provided the platform for people to say things that they might never say to someone's face, but it is so easy to type things up and to hide behind a screen. However, today, while I want you to be aware of all of that, 
I don't want to look to try to find reasons why there's a lack of civility in our society. I want to take a different approach, approach that comes from God's Word. I want to look at the fact that those of us who claim to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, those of us who stand by the truth that God is love and that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, and we should love our neighbors, ourselves, those who believe that that's truly how we should live, we should live radically different than the prevailing culture. We should live a life characterized by a God-centered kindness. Kindness is the fifth characteristic in the fruit of the Spirit, and it displays itself best in one's behavior and one's speech, which reflects one's attitude. I would put it this way. If I were to summarize today in one short sentence, it's simply this. Kindness reflects the character of God. Kindness reflects the character of God. I want you to think about that today as we work through this sermon. This is, we are going to, we need to be who God is. Now, I want us to, in a minute, read our passage together. We've been doing that each week from a different translation. And today, we're going old school. We're going to read the passage from the King James. And I will explain why in a moment, but I would ask you to join me as we read Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 from the King James. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. You say, Pastor Scott, where's kindness? Well, when the King James translators translated the word that we have kindness, they translated it gentleness. And actually, I kind of like what they did. Because what they did is give us the fact that kindness is also an action. When you think gentleness, you think someone who is actively gentle, actively soft, actively warm. And so it seems that using the term gentle, they wanted to express that there's an action that reflects kindness, that reflects one's character. Gentleness and kindness, I believe, are synonymous. We're going to take a look at three ways that kindness reflects the character of God. And then I want to leave you with some practical ways that you and I can be kindness. These are practical ways that really won't cost you a lot. You know, you're not going to have to shell out some big bucks to follow these practical ways. But I want you to constantly remember today, kindness reflects the character of God. The first thing that I see when I think about that is what we've just talked about in communion. Kindness is directly related to salvation. Kindness is related to salvation. Uh, that's what that, that, that epiphany I had this week. It's like, wow, every time I go into this deep dive of a different aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, it always starts with my relationship with God through Christ. It's God's kindness that offers us each a gift of relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. 
Now, we're going to go back to Titus. Titus was one of Paul's most faithful companions. Titus was the guy that when Paul needed somebody to go to Corinth, to go to Corinth and kind of correct some of the wrong thinking in Corinth, but also to go to Corinth and collect an offering that Paul was collecting from the churches to take to have sent back to Jerusalem. The church there had gotten on some very hard times. He trusted Titus to do that. In 2 Corinthians 8, we, hear, we read that Paul says, I'm sending Titus to you. Titus was the guy. Paul trusted him. When Paul needed somebody to go to what was considered the least civil place on the no, in the known world at that time, the island of Crete, he sent Titus. Side note, my master's thesis dealt with the book of Titus and several verses in the book of Titus. But in order to, to kind of develop that, I had to do some reading and some study about ancient Crete. And can I just say, 21st century our 21st century world is not yet where Crete was. You just let that roll around in your head a minute. I won't read to you. I won't quote you some of the things I read that really just caused me to lose a little bit of hair. Crete was a bad place. It was a very bad place. And Paul said, Titus, I trust you to go there and to help establish and build the church there. We have a contrast. We've read it. I want to come back to it. I want you to see it. It's in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Take a look at these verses. There we go. If you're filling in your blanks, kindness is related to salvation. That's the one. At one time, Paul says, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Stop there and just think, make sure that's not your life today. If you say you follow Christ today, what difference is Jesus making? What are the things that get your attention? What are the things that cause you to sit up and go, oh, I want to be that? Make sure they don't fit that sentence. Paul says we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul is saying that to Titus, who was living with people like that on the island of Crete. But when the, here's our word, kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. When, as it were, Jesus appeared, who is the actual representation of the kindness and love of God, he saved us. I know it feels like we made the choice. I chose to follow Jesus. Well, yes and no, because Jesus also saved you. I didn't do anything. Notice, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done. There is nothing you and I can do to earn our place in God's kingdom, to earn our salvation. We can't do it. It was the late Dallas Willard who said, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. I need to live my life that reflects Christ, but I live that because of what he's already done. I don't live it so that I can somehow earn some brownie points. He saved us 
not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. God's kindness and love were evidenced in Jesus Christ. Kindness and love are used to complement each other here. A kind person is a loving person. That's more than an attitude. It's an action. God's kindness and love were shown actively to you and to me, actively to the world, when Jesus stepped into the world and made atonement for our sins by dying on the cross. Kindness is related to salvation. Closely related to that, closely related to the kindness and love that was shown to us at salvation is this second fact I want you to remember today. Kindness is an expression of grace. Second epiphany this week. Actually, this morning. Sitting there thinking through things, listening to the YouTube uh, songs that I sent out that are kind of the, that are the songs we're going to sing. And all of a sudden I went, hey, wait a minute. I wonder why grace isn't one of the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. I would think that that would be in there. And I got thinking more, and I realized, oh, it's kind of part of my sermon. Because each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is an expression of grace. Grace is bound up in all of those, and kindness is an expression of grace. And that reality is going to be expressed to us in a very familiar passage that sometimes some of us, we know the passage so well that we can quote it in rapid fire. For by grace you say through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. One of the things we talked about last Wednesday, don't skip over familiar passages. There is an entire sermon built into those two verses, but those aren't the two verses I want you to look at today. One of the things that, that I discover, and one of the things we're going to learn in another couple Wednesday nights, is to learn to get the broader context so that when you have these little verses that mean a lot, where do they fall in the passage? A quick, rote, robotic recitation of a verse so you can check off a box might cause you to skip over great truth. But I digress. I want you to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, to see how kindness is an expression of grace. Paul says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ, in Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. His grace expressed in his kindness to us. Grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. When you and I show grace to another person, we are expressing kindness and we are reflecting the very character of God. Grace is acting in kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it because if it was deserved, it wouldn't be grace. Grace means I treat others the same way God treats me and grace is expressed in kindness. When I am 
kind to another person, when I'm polite to them, when I choose to be civil when someone else isn't civil with me, I am reflecting God's grace and God's kindness to them. One thing we always have to keep in mind, we can never forget the fact that our God is a holy and righteous and just God. He is a God that doesn't just ignore sin. We, 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 we can sometimes forget that and skew over, over to this God is love and, and kind of treat him like a, a doting grandpa that just gives us everything. That's not our God. He, he holds us accountable. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. He describes himself in Exodus 34 as one who does exact vengeance, one who does punish the guilty. But God is also perfectly balanced with love and kindness and gracious understanding. And he invites all of us to come into relationship with him. A third reality about kindness today is simply this. Kindness consistently benefits others. In one of the most endearing invitations in the Bible, we find the word kindness, that's translated kindness, used in a very unique way. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist was struggling. If you ever have doubts, you're in good company. John the Baptist had doubts. He'd been thrown into prison for speaking truth. And he sent his disciples to see Jesus. And, he, and, and his question was, are you really the Messiah? Or should I look for somebody else? And Jesus' response, and by the way, this is one of the ways that you and I can kind of deal with things we doubt. And Jesus' response in Matthew 11 was, look at the evidence, John. The, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. Look at the evidence. When you and I struggle with doubts, take a step back and look at the evidence of God's hand in your life in unique and amazing ways. And, and so Jesus goes on because John's struggling. Jesus responds in a way, but then he turns to the crowd and he praises John for his work. And then he goes and he warns those who had, who had the privilege. There are a couple of cities uh, Bethsaida and Chorazin, and he warns them. He said, you know what? Had these village, these cities like Tyre and Sidon that, that are totally pagan, had they had the privilege you had, they would have turned to me. But you have seen the hand of God and you've turned away. You still don't believe and you will be held accountable. And at the end of that chapter, we find this invitation for everyone. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, says, Come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon me. That was a metaphor. To take, you know, when you put a yoke of oxen together, they have to stay in tandem. They have to stay together. In that day and age, to take someone's yoke upon them was Tanya was to join with them. In other words, Jesus is saying, join with me, take my yoke upon me, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. That's our word. My yoke is kind. It's easy. My burden is light. 
Jesus was contrasting following him with following the Pharisees. The Pharisees' yoke was not easy. They took rule after rule after rule after rule, and they compounded it by more rules and more rules. And Jesus said, no, following me, connecting yourself to me, is not going to be a burden. Connecting yourself to me is not going to be compounded by rules and rules. And if somebody has taken and compounded rules upon rules upon you to say, this is how you follow Jesus, that's not how you follow Jesus. Jesus left us with some basic commands. Follow me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. There's enough in those three statements for a lifetime. And so Jesus said, no, when you connect me, it's restful, it's gentle, it reflects divine kindness, you'll benefit from following Jesus, and others will benefit because we follow Jesus. Because kindness consistently benefits others. We say, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Do we have some examples? We do. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, Paul uses our word, and he gives us an example. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 32, says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Just be kind. Yeah, That's really a simple statement, right? How do I follow Jesus? Be kind. Just be a kind person. Be known as a person of kindness. It's to be part of who we are as following Jesus. We have looked at this passage in Colossians several times. But I want you to look at it again. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Take a look at this and look at how kindness fits in. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Leave that one up for just a minute. Somewhere along the way, somebody made this statement. The original statement was, clothes make the man. We'll put it in a little 21st century vernacular and expand it. Clothes make the person. I think the point of that statement can be twofold. One, it can merely mean that people are judged based on the clothing that they wear and are treated accordingly. People look at the clothes you wear and they think, oh, yeah. I remember once we were, we were on Virginia Beach. It was 1996. We were transitioning from Indiana to here. We did a little East Coast vacation. Uh, and, and we're walking along the beach. And uh, there were some people doing one of those offers, you know, come and see these condos, da-da-da. And, and they, hey, 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 you, come here. We're doing this offer, and you only need to make $40,000 a year, and you could qualify for this. I said, well, I don't qualify. No, I thought for sure you were rich. I think they were just kind of being salespeople because I was wearing like swim trunks and a T-shirt. 
you know, but it was like they judged me, you know. And you walk into a place and, and they judge you by the clothes that you wear. Sometimes, but secondly, this phrase can be understood to mean that by dressing in a certain manner, you can actually shape your behavior. My senior year in college, I was an RA. There were two benefits to being an RA. One was you got a reduction in your school bill. And the second one was that to make up for the rest of the school bill, you got first choice of signing up for jobs at the different desks, at the different uh, halls. Well, there were a couple times, and everybody had to take their, their shift, there were a couple times where I would be working the 11 to 7 shift at the desk, or sometimes only till 3 a.m., but it would be a short night. And I would have an 8 o'clock class. I don't know what, where this idea came from, but I decided on the nights that I worked and was, knew I was only going to get an hour or two of sleep, if that, that that morning, on my, going to my 8 o'clock class, I would put on a suit and tie. And I would wear a suit and tie to class. Now, it was Moody Bible Institute that was not an odd thing. It was not like, oh. Every now and then I'd be asked if I was preaching that day, but that wasn't my major, so that didn't happen. The reason I wore a suit and tie is because when I was dressed up, I was probably less prone to fall asleep. A suit and tie and a couple cups of coffee, and I could make it through those early classes. What are you wearing spiritually today? Is kindness part of the ensemble? Paul says, clothe yourselves with kindness Every day, you and I clothe ourselves. Maybe as we're getting dressed, one of the things we ought to say is, I am, Lord, help me to clothe myself with kindness today. Kindness should be part of our spiritual ensemble. I want to leave you with three very simple takeaway points this morning that I hope will give you a framework for living out kindness. And I hope as you have that framework for living out kindness, you will be remembering that when you are kind, you reflect the character of God. These takeaway points are going to be bound up in three very simple words. First word, remember. Remember. Remember that everyone has a story. Every person that you interact with has a story. And when you interact with them, if only for a minute, you enter their story. I don't care if it's the person that's, that's ringing up your groceries. When you interact with them, you have entered their story. And they may be there doing that job today just trying to make it through because they have had horrible news, but they need the job, they need the money. And if you're the person that says, thank you, thank you for doing that. Thank you for bagging up my groceries. You have entered their story and in just a moment shown them kindness. And your kindness, even if the situation is tense, your kindness will go far in benefiting them. It might be your kindness that encourages them that they can make it. In a story that might be frustration and disappointment, you enter that story 
only for a moment. And kindness can speak volumes. Remember, everyone has a story. And everyone you meet deserves your kindness because they are a creature created in the image of God and you get to be the representative of God's kindness and grace in that moment. Remember, observe. Be a person that just looks around you. Observe. Observe those around you. Observe people you're, you, that are out there. Maybe somebody dropped something. Observe. Just pick it up and say, hey, I think you dropped this. Just be an observer. Observe by seeing. Observe by listening. It may be today that you're going to go somewhere for lunch. And it's the standard now when that server comes up, they come up and they say, hi, I'm Jack. Or hi, I'm Jill. I'm your server today. Call them by their name. Thanks, Jack. I'm glad you're here. And then when they bring the food to you, how, how is everything? Oh, Jack, it tastes great. Thanks. Is there anything else, else I can get you? You know what, Jack? We're good today, but we'll take the check. Thanks. And then give Jack or Jill or whoever it is a really good tip. You want to walk away with them having tasted the kindness of God that flows through you. Observe. Read name badges. My daughters used to work at a store that's now Goodwill. It used to be called John's Christian Store. Way back in the day. They had a name tag. Bethany. Jessica. And they would come home going, Why do people call me ma'am? My name is right here. Why do they call me ma'am? I took stock at that. I read name badges. Thanks, Lillian, for ringing up our groceries today. Thanks, Brian, for putting them in the, bat, in the cart. Call people by their name. That small act of kindness, what you're doing in that small act of kindness, you're showing them respect as a person. You're saying, I see you. And in that small act of kindness, you're saying, I want to dignify you for serving me Remember, observe, act, act. Write a random thank you note. Now, I know it's really easy to shoot somebody a text and say, hey, thanks. It's really easy to just fire off an email and say thanks. But I want to tell you something. You get a thank you note in the mail, that someone took the time to write and they were specific? And you know that they wrote that by hand because you're kind of turning it this way to read it, but you're getting through it? And it was hand-addressed to you with a, a, a 66-cent stamp on it now? You know they went to some effort. I um, tried an experiment a bunch of years ago. I was the administrator at our church in Indiana after I had retired from youth ministry at the ripe old age of 32. And uh, we had a, a sizable church and a sizable group of leaders. For a period of time, every Monday morning, 
I sat down at my desk and I wrote out a thank you note. Of course, this was before email, but still, I wrote a thank you note to one of our leaders, just thanking them for something I'd seen that day or for something I'd heard or just thanking them. And I put that thing in the mail. Every one of those men, everyone would come up to me the next week and go, man, that note came just when I needed it. Thanks for sending that. Thanks for doing that. I didn't do it for that purpose. I, I did it because I wanted to develop a, 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 a culture of being thankful. Oh, a couple of them were pretty honest. Man, I almost cried when I read that. You know, and I said, well, I'm sorry, I'll work on my handwriting. I, I almost cried when I read that. Scott, you know, I was told this long time ago by a wise man when I was about ready to fly off the handle, and I had written a letter, a letter that was, you had to hold it with oven mitts. It was hot. And he sat down with me and he said, Scott, write appreciation verbalize critique. He said, when you send this letter, even if you're not angry, and I can tell you are, but even if you weren't, you don't know what day that, what kind of a day that person has had. You don't know what's going through their life right now. And they open that letter, and that just makes it worse. And you know what? It's in writing. It's permanent. They go back and they open, well, that's Scott Howington, and they open it again, and you've just increased their anger. Write appreciation. Because you don't know what kind of a day that person has had. And when they open that thank you note, it doesn't matter. They're blessed. Act. Write appreciation. Here's one for you. Choose to post only positive comments on social media. And I don't mean positive comments that are tongue-in-cheek. Choose not to rant on social media. Choose not to critique on social media. Choose to post only positive comments. For some of you, it may mean deleting your account. But for others of you, it's like, you know what? I can try that. Just do it for a week. For a week. You see something that just bugs you? Take it to the Lord. Post something positive on social media. You see, when you and I do acts of kindness... We share God's blessing with another. We may be the impetus for them to pay it forward and show kindness to another. Now, I've only given you some frameworks. You're gonna, you can expand on it. Because kindness is related to salvation. Kindness is an expression of grace. Kindness consistently benefits others. We live in a society in which we decry the, act, the lack of civility. And I hear it everywhere. But instead of complaining about it, we can quietly and simply make a difference one act at a time, one person at a time, by being people who every day decide that we are going to put on the clothing of kindness. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness reflects the character of God. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Father, for huh, how your word sometimes pulls us up short. But we need that. We need to be reminded of, of who you are. We need to be reminded of who you want us to be. May we decide today 
with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we will be people of kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.